Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have A Star is Born starring Bradley Cooper, Lady Gaga, and Sam Elliott. Based on the story by William Wellman and Robert Carson, screenplay by Eric Roth, Bradley Cooper, and Will Fetters, and directed by Bradley Cooper. Welcome back to Rice Smile Films. It's time to start a new film review podcast. I think last week we decided we were going to call this Backbeats, delving into the music world. So not entirely musical films, but films with a musical backdrop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Backbeats, Beats being the story trope that we talk so much about, Backbeats, so... Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Excellent. Let's go with that. Why don't you go ahead and pour us here? Um, so Bell Mead. Here, we're going to finish off the Bell Mead Sour Mash Whiskey. This was the mystery bottle that showed up on our Miller's Crossing episode. We're going to finish off the bottle. Oh, see you guys <laughs> in 2021. No, no, no. Drinking takes a whole new moniker after watching <laughs> this film. My yeah, God. No kidding. Uh, but excellent. Cheers to you, Matt. Cheers, Jesse. Cheers to everyone out there. Hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving out there. Happy Thanksgiving late, everybody. Okay, before we get into it, I got to ask you a question. Okay. We always do the top three, and whether it's flight or nightcap, I have a pre-flight top three for you around Thanksgiving. Already. Okay, top three Thanksgiving eats. Eats? Okay. Beginning to end, whatever, top three. Number three first. Perfect. Uh, Number three, um, pecan pie. Okay. That's a new addition to my repertoire. I never was a fan of it, but I've come across uh, like a warm piece of pecan pie. Oh, yeah. Number three. Sweet potato pie for me or mm. candy yams. Do you do love the marshmallows and the brown sugar? Damn right. Excellent. One time uh, I got really creative with that and I did twice baked sweet potatoes. Mm. Um, look, they were good. It was a lot of work to prep them. <laughs> I don't know if the good was worth, was the, worth the, 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 the effort. Number two. That'll go. be number two for me because my mom, th- that's one of the staples that she she's always done is the, the candy. I, we do sweet potatoes. For that one. So, yeah, it's like candy almost. So good. <laughs> it's like candy. It just melts in your mouth. Number two for me is turkey. I'm st- I know that, like, gee, how on the nose can you be? But I just love turkey. Mm-hmm. Number one, stuffing. Has and always will be. Like, it, that's such an interesting creation. And whether you do it with, like, bread, like, pieces of actual bread, or you, even just the stovetop stuffing is good enough for me. Man, I love that. It, it, that's what reminds me of Thanksgiving. Mine's pecan pie. Yeah. That's my number one. I was a little late to the game on that too, mm-hmm. but in the last five to ten years, Rob, who was on for a Ghost Story, yeah, no, made, uh, the Omen. He? Oh, it was the Omen? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so when he was on for the Omen, he made my family a pecan oh, pie for cool. Thanksgiving, and it came out fantastic. So to those three dishes and to Rob's pecan pie, that's excellent. No, I came to that one. It was like one of those Thanksgivings, and I was just kind of like I'd eaten my like entire weight in food, and oh, I was yeah. just like lazing around, like. Oh, I kind of want to go back for one more thing. What is, oh, look at that pecan pie. Let me warm that up. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. So little bourbon and a little caramel mixed in there. Lights we, we, out. we should try and make a pecan pie with like, like a bourbon kind of glaze on one of the bottles that we have. Done. <laughs> there we go. We'll try that one of these days. Maybe oh, for Christmas. Great idea. There you go. All right. Excellent. Well, let's get this party started with our flight question. Tell me something, girl. Are you happy in this modern world? Or do you need more? 
perfect segue into the flight question i know everyone is probably sick to death of that song i'm not i still love it it's a good song fantastic song yeah yeah Yeah, it is to willie nelson's son for helping put it together with the uh, musical piece but yeah written by lady gaga yeah mark ronson and a a few other collaborators it's it's good who would have thought bradley cooper could sing like that Mm -hmm. which leads us into our flight Mm -hmm. this is your three favorite Vocal performances by actors in film not considered musicians. Okay. You want to start us off? Yeah, number three. You're number three. Ewan McGregor. Uh, two films that come to mind, first being Moulin Rouge and the second being The Beauty and the Beast remake where he plays Lumiere. I mean, I associate Ewan McGregor first and foremost with Obi-Wan Kenobi. He was the saving grace of the prequels for me, but who knew the guy had a set of pipes too? So specifically from those two films, I mean, there's a few renditions in Moulin Rouge from him that are pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. So that's my number three. Awesome. This one's a weird one. And I am actually going to take it from a musical, but this is not a musician or a musical actor. Okay. It's actually John C. Riley. Mm-hmm. And that's the Amos Hart character, Mr. Cellophane, that he plays in Chicago. Mm. I'm not a fan of that movie. I don't really like musicals. It's it's spectacular and pretty and good enough for one viewing, I guess. But that Mr. Cellophane song from John C. Riley and that, you see a little bit of it with Walk Hard and a little bit in Boogie Nights. Yeah. Like there's a little something there. Mm-hmm. He slays that four minutes. So that's my number three. Excellent walk hard. That's funny. Yeah. Number two. Number two, I'm going to go with uh, Val Kilmer in his portrayal as Jim Morrison in the Doors movie, which I'm not a fan of that movie, but Val Kilmer kind of became Jim Morrison for his portrayal. I think, I can't remember the number, but I think he learned uh, 25 to 30 songs of, of theirs and they perform a few of them in the movie and on the soundtrack. And you, you really can't like when you kind of put them that they're almost identical. So taking a vocal performance and trying to recreate the unique vocal style of Jim Morrison, I think he absolutely nailed that. So he's number two for me. Helps that you're a big fan of that band too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Good choice. Mm-hmm. Number two for me, Joaquin Phoenix is Johnny Cash. Oh, good one. I actually like his version of Johnny Cash more than I like Johnny Cash himself. Um, that's nothing against Johnny Cash. I just think Joaquin Phoenix, <laughs> and that's sacrilegious for the Johnny Cash fans. I'm sure there's going to be plenty of hate mail coming our way. Um, I think it's better. Yeah. I think he's better. And he's certainly better with, with Reese Witherspoon mm-hmm. than the actual natural pairing as it occurred, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a good movie. Uh, side beat. Uh, have you ever seen the the Hank Williams biopic with Tom Hiddleston? No, not good. Not good. <laughs> so I'll just say that really? he's okay in it, but that, that that could have been a great movie. Talk about another kind of Jackson Maine in that in that sure. story, and I felt like they really kind of dropped the ball on that. Hmm. I haven't seen that. It's only a pass, though. It sounds like a pass. Yeah. Number one, I can't wait to hear yours. Number one. So, kind of playing off of my number two choice, you know, where Kilmer is trying to do an exact impersonation of Jim Morrison, I'm going with an actor who kind of gives his own take on it. And he's just such a talented actor already. I'm going with Taron Edgerton as Elton John. Uh, he's not playing a persona of Elton John. It's like Taron's own take on what he thinks Elton is. 
And the guy's got a set of chops, too, to be able to pull off a lot of those numbers. And he kills it. That's such a good, interesting performance from there because it's part musical, part biopic. And they tackle it in the way I kind of like a biopic to be told. And that's no holds barred. (laughs) Love it. My number one. Yeah. Anne Hathaway and Les Miserables. That's a joke. I fucking hate that movie. She's the best. That's the best scene in the movie, though. Yeah. Mine's actually the same as yours. Yeah. Taron Edgerton is Elton John. You've said it perfectly. Who would have thunk it? Mm -hmm. And man, it comes through really, really well. Uh, I also want to give a slight nod in this just for a minute to Mm -hmm. Jason Segal and Sarah Marshall. I know that, and I'm actually not trying to be funny on this. I think that puppet bit's actually genius. It is funny, but it's, yeah, you're right. But no, mine's the same as yours. It's good. The talented, talented young actor. I'm curious. Like I've told you before on the podcast, he's my Jesse choice to replace Bond, to replace Daniel Craig once he's hung it up after this film. So, well, we've seen a bit of that with the Kingsman, right? Yeah, it's that's right a, there. That's a great series. He's too. all around it. Mm-hmm. So, I'm with you. Num- that's that's my number one. Okay, I think we are in agreement. What a disappointment that we both have the same number one. Sorry, we don't have something better for you. <laughs> it's not a disappointment. It's, Be thankful for that. We both tell agree. Tell people to check out Rocket Man if you haven't seen it. I mean, it's 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 different in the in its execution compared to like Bohemian Rhapsody, which came out the year prior. So okay, so let's do that because we're going to get bombarded on the socials with that. Let's talk about Remy Malik as Freddie Mercury. And I'll tell you. Let me tell you why I didn't put him in. I think he looks the part. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's going to be hate mail coming in spades. Yeah. I don't like Queen. Yeah. Okay, so that's why, I, like, no matter who does it, yeah. whether it's Freddie or anybody of that entire just not your song catalog, that is not my cup of tea. Just not your jam. Like, one of my five least favorite bands. Yeah. I just cannot do it. So oh. that's why he doesn't make it for me. Although I will acknowledge yeah. he looks good, moves like him, sounds like him. I just can't stomach Queen. Yeah. No, he is good. And I gave to I tried to give some consideration to that, and it is hard to replicate the vocal prowess that is Freddie Mercury. He reaches such an octave with his right. with his singing. So his singing in that film is kind of intermixed with Freddie Mercury's actual vocals in that. So, but you don't like that movie either, do you? Uh, I don't like it because it is it's a biopic that is. Well, they try to make it family friendly, which is kind of a mistake. And a no mistake with Queen, but right. this is the problem when you have the band members involved, and they do a kind of a bad <laughs> jo- job of jumbling the actual events in the way they're portrayed on on film in kind of an out of order fashion for dramatic intent. Uh, so that's that's one of the reasons I don't, I don't like that. Rocket Man is infinitely better. If you wanted to do a G to PG rated rock. Do the Righteous Brothers, mm-hmm. not Queen. <clears throat> you just can't, you defang anything that made that what it was. Yeah. So. Yeah, I long for the days when I think at one point David Fincher and or Martin Scorsese were attached to that project, which could have been pretty great. Much different movie. Love your choices. Yours too. Yeah, there's there's a lot, a lot to pick from out there. And then our nightcap is going to be a takeoff of that. But let's go ahead and jump right into this thing with our review breakdown of A Star is Born.
Alrighty, so let's just get the let's just get it out of the way right now. So this film written, co-written, and directed by Bradley Cooper, starring Bradley Cooper, a bit of a passion project for him. And in kind of doing a deep dive into how he came to this project, uh had always kind of really wanted to get into directing, even before acting. That was kind of always like a a niche for him. And it, it wasn't until this idea kind of presented itself that he kind of really stuck his teeth into it and want, wanted to see see it out to the point where I got to learn guitar and I got to sing for this. Like, you know, how am I going to do that? And as I told you while we were watching, uh, Willie Nelson's son, Lucas Nelson, helped him learn guitar, helped him write that that song there. And he's really good in this. He's really good at singing. You would never know. The man had never really pursued, other than um, his uh, show choir in wet hot american summer with amy poehler <laughs> you've never really seen this guy kind of sing like 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 this before and and perform i think i think he's really incredible in the, in this movie playing a genre ish of music that i'm like country rock not quite garth brooks but more maybe brad paisley like in that kind of vein which is not my cup of tea at all but he's really good at this these songs are really catchy uh, I do tend to like that a lot. Mm. And you've also just mentioned my choice for the next Bond if we get there. I think it should be Bradley Cooper. Interesting. I think he's an interesting and, in a lot of ways, unrecognized talent. If you go from the voiceover that we see as Rocket mm -hmm. to the directorial chops in this and just the ability that he has to be very multifaceted, whether it be humor in The Hangover yeah. or dramatic in Silver Linings, oh, yeah. Bradley Cooper's a really, really talented individual. He's, he's, he's become one of my favorites. The reason I don't want him to do Bond, I want him directing more movies. Yeah. No, that's you, a fair. You kind of sell your soul when you become Bond, but I'd like to see him take a stab at, I don't know why Salem's Lot comes to my mind, but like Salem's Lot directed and starring Bradley Cooper, like that could be pretty good. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. But... No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, like whether it's Rocket, voice acting, comedic chops, uh, action. I always kind of thought he'd have been a good Green Lantern too, Al Jordan Green Lantern. Sure. I feel like that one kind of, maybe he was in the running for that. I think we both like him because there's a younger feeling that's Kurt Russell-esque to him, yeah. certainly in this <laughs> film. And maybe it's the beard and the look, but so be it. He's got a, a Kurt Russell vibe. Kind of does, yeah, doesn't he? I dig it, yeah. And, I mean, we're going to talk about this, I'm sure many more times before the show's over today. He does a fantastic job. Now, Lady Gaga is going to get a lot of accolades in this film, and we're going to get into that, and rightly so. Mm -hmm. But I need everyone to recognize that this is essentially the fifth time this film has been made, if you include the rose. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of new ground that they're going to cover in this. Yeah, it's the same story anytime they tell it. And to take the passion project that you did and essentially redo... Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson sure. to a certain effect in this film, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. With the nose from Barbara to Lady Gaga. Yeah. And then he's kind of doing a Chris Christopherson better. Yeah. I'd say that with a question mark because mm -hmm. that's debatable, but better. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's an admiral job and short of maybe a show here or there, this is his first time in the director's chair, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, it is. Yep. Bam, Grand Slam. Oh, yeah. Well done. The thing about both of the characters in this movie, from him as Jackson to Lady Gaga as Allie, mm -hmm. and then him in the chair, I think everyone seems to be very in control of what they're performing mm -hmm. or what they're showing on screen. Yeah. And they know where they're going. We're not going to dick around with stuff that doesn't matter, and let's get to it. 
I think it's a great job that he does as a director in this film. And, and personal for him, I think on the Hangover episode, I remember, you know, that's another hard drinking movie of, yeah. of an all night binger. Yeah. The man's been sober since like 2006 or seven. Like, it's like something that's he struggled with this character, like just drinking all Is the time. Is that right? Really? Yeah. yeah. I didn't know. He's, yeah. He had a, he had a problem. Yeah. And he's been clean ever since. So this movie then also, I didn't know that is very self-referential, isn't it? Mm-hmm. We talked off mic, but we'll get into it also. Um, the vocal stylings and the way the characters are portrayed is very self-referential. And I didn't know that Bradley Cooper had had the battle that he did, that Jackson Maines has, maybe not to the same level, but struggled. Yeah. A little therapeutic. Yeah, sure. Because I think in some of those scenes, when Allie is discussing what the industry won't let her be in the film mm-hmm. is also... Maybe what she struggled with with the industry letting her be in real time, too. Yeah, it almost feels like yeah, when you watch it, especially this time, and first time I watched it, I was pretty blown away, but here I'm kind of picking up on maybe this is a little kind of true story for these two people as well. It's part biopic, part fiction at the same time. And I remember at the Oscars when she and Cooper performed Shallow, Mm -hmm. and there was a line she had somewhere in that show or around there. Maybe it was she won an Academy. I don't remember something. And she just said, I've worked so hard for this. Thank you. Mm. It was almost a middle finger that she could throw to the industry without throwing it to the industry. Sure. Uh, and the reason I would say that is I know she's the glam and glitz and a 20 odd version minus the sexuality to a certain degree of what Madonna did. It's mm. kind of a little bit of that. That's exactly what that is. Way yeah. more talented vocally no. than Madonna. Mm-hmm. But lost in the meat dress and the weirdness that was marketable yeah. in a Kiss kind of style. And Kiss came up when we were watching this today, too. But well, here's the thing. Yeah. She can flat out mm-hmm. belt it. Yeah. Bury any of these kind of current people under the table. There's a few people. Bury is a perfect word, Jesse. Yeah. Bury them. Right. Like Lady Gaga, Adele. Adele, right. Like they have a set of pipes that are just like once in a lifetime. They're incredible. And like, you're right. Like we talk, let's get into Lady Gaga. So, you know, we meet her and she's kind of got this shitty waitress job. They got to wear weird, like kind of like sailor suits or something. Yeah, what is Sailor that? tuxedos is weird. Right. And, you know, you kind of get it right away. This is a rags to riches type thing, working a shitty job. I don't like to go do my real passion, which is singing, but... As we kind of said uh, earlier, like when she does sing, I mean, she takes over the entire scene and juxtapose that with her personality, the Lady Gaga personality, which is weird and obscure. But as we talked about, that's kind of how you market yourself as to way, as a way to stand out because there are so many people with good voices. It is the kiss factor. It is um, the Ziggy Stardust, David Bowie. You create a thing that you're not. And then that's what becomes the selling point. I mean, like, I forgot how heavy, once the manager gets in, how heavy the influences of Hollywood and L.A. take place in the reshaping of her image to appease the masses, which is the ugly, one of the ugly parts of fame and fortune is they turn you into someone you're not. And no doubt. Stripped down, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Not only in the film with all the glam and glitz that is what we know Lady Gaga to be and bad romance and all that crap, Mm -hmm. to what I think she'd like to be. I think she gets a chance to do it in this film. Mm -hmm. And that moment in the film when Cooper brings her on stage, Jackson brings Allie on stage, and they belt out shallow together is delivered in a way 
that is celebrating the musical ability of her less the weirdness. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in this movie, she's getting a chance to show everybody, hey, y'all know Adele, right? She's a really good singer. Mm -hmm. Check this out. Yeah. Because Adele didn't have to do that. She got marketed with what she was, as she was with the big pipes, and she's got them. Mm -hmm. But I have to tell you something right now. Okay. I didn't think I was going to really love this movie when I first saw it. Oh, yeah. But I did know that the way I was brought up, essentially raised in a lot of parts of my life by my aunt, female vocalists were a huge part of my upbringing in music and my upbringing every morning Mm -hmm. from Pat Benatar to Stevie Nicks to a little bit later on, Joan Osborne, uh, Patty Smythe, Patty Griffith. We can go on and on. Like they've been a huge part of my life Mm -hmm. to the point where a couple of my other friends, Jimmy and John Mm -hmm. have given me some crap about, Oh my God, female vocalist Matt's on board. It's always been that way. Yeah. Like I like Eric Clapton as much as anybody, but I have a soft spot Mm -hmm. for the gal on the piano, just letting it go. There's something very raw and passionate yep. and lovely about that. Mm-hmm. And here it is. This movie is that. And it makes me really want to be a Lady Gaga fan. Familiar with her catalog of music. I've got plenty of it. Yeah. That's not my go-to mm-hmm. because it's not this. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you a question. Yeah. Well, it's almost thankful then that this film kind of gives you the version that she can truly be that is this stripped down the raw, the pure talent. Not that those other songs that she sings don't have talent, but like, this is like you said, this is probably what she wants to be, what wants to be portrayed as with that huge setup. Is there a frustration, a latent frustration in this film regarding her and the music of what's never going to quite get there? that makes the film better for you? Because I'm going to say, I would answer that question myself. Yes, I want to hear what you think. So when it comes to modern... Frustration in a good way. Yeah. When it comes to modern music, I'm not as hip or in tune. Like, I'm an old soul, man. Like, I I love a lot of the music of the 60s, 70s, and 80s, the 90s. Yeah. So I'm not in tune with a lot of, like, the singer, pop genre kind of going on today and there's some talent like i like i like bruno mars is is one that i go to because he's got a band too you know what i mean sure i like horns you know me yes i do we'll talk about horns coming up in a couple weeks yeah we will so other than like the, the top 40 stuff that gaga sings like um like poker face and and some of those other ones i haven't really heard a lot of her oeuvre or her catalog so when i signed up to go check this movie out like it was kind of raw and uninitiated for me as well. So I kind of got to see the rags to riches story organically, which was nice. So I don't know if that answers your question, but once she started seeing, we'll get to the shallow bit, but we get the Levia and Rose bit in there where she just kind of takes over this, this bar. Um, and we just see everyone gravitate towards her. Like you kind of recognize, I like recognizing talent where it's justly needs to be recognized, especially in music. And, when she starts singing, you like you see like this isn't the show, this isn't the Gaga, this isn't the costumes, it's that, and that's what I gravitate towards. And she kills it anytime she's on the stage, even in the the sellout portion of the film. She's still she's still great in it. So I don't know. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. There's something sexy about a woman singing. Have you ever seen the Fabulous Baker Boys? Mm, yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer. I think that's pretty pedestrian film except when she's singing and i know it's just another version of fever Mm. right Mm -hmm. (laughs) but there's something about that that has always hit the tuning fork 
of sexual acknowledgement inside. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talked a little bit about it and we've talked a lot about it on the show and that's the Betty Davis effect. Is it pretty or interesting or, and Lady Gaga fits that for me also, Mm -hmm. but she's infinitely watchable and attractive in this because she's so beholden Mm -hmm. and all in. Yeah. She really leans into her craft in this. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Yeah unapologetic in front of the camera. This is who I am. And this is what I love about it. The frustration bit I was getting to is, is this right here. Okay. This is what I really want to be. And the movie is going to allow me to be it because the movie's a story about me mm-hmm. in a way that has allowed me to make this film the way I want to be portrayed in this film. Who's Lady Gaga if she's not this major superstar in the pop world, she doesn't get cast in this movie, mm-hmm. but she gets cast in this movie. Like, and I'm not trying to say she doesn't enjoy that piece. Like I'm sure she does, but yeah. this is like, you can see yeah. how good this is mm-hmm. and how hard she's playing. it. Mm-hmm. So there's this frustration around here's the wall. Here's the world that I've built for myself and I'm trapped by it, yeah. but I need this world to allow myself to play the part in this movie that I really want to be in real life. And that is so complex. Yeah. You're getting conflict that is internal and external on the screen and off yeah. through the fourth wall at the same time in my take. Master- That's my whole take. masterfully handled too. Indeed. Excellent. And then you have just their chemistry together. Oh, they, you said it. They play off. They're so- good together. Yes. Crash through the surface where they can't hurt us. We're far from the shallow now. Holy shit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> is this supposed to help me? Can I tell you a secret? I think you might be a songwriter. Yeah. They they just they play off each other so well. Something I didn't notice in this, and I don't know, this might have been a little too on the nose, but maybe not because I missed it in my first viewing. So Jackson plays his uh first gig, and like like the level that he's at at the beginning of the film compared to the second half is he's selling out these like pretty decently sized arenas and man, people love him. He's recognized when he goes into the bars, uh, really re- well-renowned, but man, the, the, this drinking thing is just killing him. I mean, he finishes the first gig, gets in the car and like pounds back a bottle of, has to be gin or vodka. Oh Ugh, God. Exactly. Yeah. But to an alcoholic, what is one difference from the other. I mean, at that point it all just tastes the same. So medicine. Yeah, exactly. Uh, did you notice the, the nooses in the, in the lighting No, at the beginning? So there's like, they're driving down the the boardwalk there and whatever city they're in at the beginning of the movie. And there's four nooses, uh, kind of on these like lights as he's kind of passing around and kind of pounding the bottle, which is Mm. again, could be on the nose, but I missed it the first time. But those familiar with this Star is Born story, like you said, this is the fifth time this is being done. Like, what new ground is there to tread with this? You know how this is going to end up. It's not going to end well. No. <laughs> I mean, they all end in a in a in a in, in the same way. But this drinking aspect is present in 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 a few of them. 
as I told you, James Mason. I was like, <laughs> just go be you on set. I'll try not to piss myself when I'm on, on the set. <laughs> uh, I didn't pick up those shadows or the, the lighting effect of those nooses. I almost want to go back and look at that now just to just to see that for myself. Real, Good real, catch. Yeah, really, really kind of setting out how this is going to go. But I think this is uh, – everyone would probably tell me, like, Jesse, you heartless bastard. I like films with the kind of a tragic twinge to, to them. And, and, you know, things aren't always going to end up all sunsets and rainbows at the end of the day, that there's some real stakes and consequences and what's taking place here. So I like the juxtaposition of this is two movies in this thing. Yeah. It's the finding of Ali in the, in the, the drag bar and just being enamored with her voice and just seeing the raw talent. I mean, she, she, this is a song that, that she just kind of wrote on a whim and he just sees the vocal prowess already to being willing to, I'm going to invite her up on stage. I want to show that she's she's got what it takes. And then in doing so, supplants his own fame as like the story goes on and she becomes a little more well-renowned than he is and he becomes more of a joke and we'll get into that. But I like the tale of two films in, in this. When I see an, a movie that is a story about a family pet and the boy or the girl that is befriended by that pet. I know that I'm going to get one thing, which is... <laughs> the pet's dying? Yes. <laughs> and so I purposely do not see those films. Oh, yeah, that's that's hard. Super contrived, and the whole point of the film is to watch this animal and this young person grow close <laughs> so that at the end some terrible tragedy can tug at your oh, heartstrings. Oh, man, I can't do that. Okay, so if this is the fifth time through mm-hmm. A Star is Born, then I think there's an element of that... Mm-hmm. Here as well, you know that they're not going to give them some light at the end of the film because that's not what the story is. Wherein the pet movie, I think that limits the story you can tell. In a way, I think this film, and you said it with the chemistry bit, and I'm getting to that, allows that to grow because we know that Jackson is going to die at the end. So if you can really build a loving relationship on screen between him and Allie up to that point, Mm -hmm. then man, when it happens, it is really going to hit home because you know that there is a finality that is coming Mm -hmm. regardless. And these two are wildly in love with each other and it's portrayed well on screen because they're both into the characters and have great chemistry it just works out do you think that works to the film's benefit that we kind of know how it's going to end already yeah and so then the journey is in well let's see how they build this up so i care about that it wouldn't be because you could be a trap by that but here's the mm-hmm. here's why I, why i'm going to argue yes if they can just love each other hard enough mm-hmm. maybe we'll get a different end this time and if i've seen this story four previous times and i'm still pulling for the protagonist to survive the journey and make it at the end, something remarkable has happened. Sure. And none of these stories before has the male hard drinking mentor lived from the Rose to Judy Garland and the very first one in James Mason. Yeah. It's never worked out. So the fact that it's going to work out this time maybe is different speaks to the portrayals between the two of them on screen. Yeah. It's really done well. And the storytelling's uh is also is also helping out as well. One thing that I noticed this viewing compared to the first time I saw it was Ali is vocally talented, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Uh but 
Jackson's also a talented musician, too. He takes this song that he hears a bar of from her in the parking lot. The following night turns it into a full-blown song, like with his own kind of rendition at the beginning. So he has talent, too. His talent is just lost in drinking. like, And we've talked about so let's just kind of get into it, like... I think I've mentioned to you just off mic, like we've t- we talked whether it's GNR or The Doors or Led Zeppelin, and you can read that Hammer of the Gods book. Man, Zeppelin sold their souls to the devil to be famous. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if I could do it. I don't know if I could be a proficient musician night after night and arena after arena, and then partaking in the libations that fame and fortune bring you to just be coherent. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, yes. Like, I can't imagine. Like, he, he gets so drunk, and he's just pulling these benders, and I can't imagine the hangover that he he's getting. Or maybe he's just numb to it at this point. But to just pull yourself up and go remember lyrics and notes. I mean, it's hard enough to read sheet music and play an instrument. But to remember that from memory, I always, the thing I always, I was like, let's take Rush, for example. Okay. They have, like, 20-plus albums. Okay. Very complex lyrics yes. and very complex uh Instrumentals, uh, instrumentals, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I always, say that. I always wonder, and this is speaks to how talented musicians can be. Like when they roll out on the Cleveland night, they're gonna play uh, Marathon, a deeper cut from Power Windows, YYZ, or or any any of those things. They know their songs so well that they don't, and sometimes they they trip up. They don't remit, rem, forget the lyrics. You know what I mean? Like that's yes. like they're so stored deep in there. And you're talking about a catalog that's 300 plus songs deep. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's hard. I can't imagine doing it the way Jackson's doing it, which is bottle first, instrument second. Oh God. Yeah, that, right. Mm-hmm. I agree with everything you said there. Here's what I always think about too. <clears throat> The process of creation artistically in saying something that matters, because that ends up being a very strong theme in this film. You've got to say something that people give a damn about, which is the essence of all good art, right? Mm -hmm. At least art that comes from the soul, not sell out, like, but heartfelt, a piece of me, here it is for you to enjoy. If that's fueled and performed by liquor or drugs or what have you, I guess initially that provides an element of creativity or an avenue to express it. But in the same way this movie is set up for a dire end, Mm. so is that. You can only do that for so... Look, and I'm talking about every rock story. This is not something that is, oh my God, I've never thought about that. Look at any rock band. They Uh, all go through Betty Ford at some point. All of them, yeah. It burns you out. And then when you're burned out and you don't have what was providing the energy for the creativity, mm-hmm. where do you go? Yeah. You're done. Yep. Think about every time you and I sat down to write, mm-hmm. we polished off half a bottle and, you know, two or three of Love Supreme by, like two or three times through Love Supreme by Coltrane. Yeah. Could probably pull that off for like a script or two maybe. Mm-hmm. By the end, mm-hmm. we're raging alcoholics. Yeah. There's no day or night. It's just this purple blue funk Mm -hmm. of intoxication that's necessary to perform. And here's what I just, this blows me away. How do you, 300 songs you said. How do you remember the notes, the lyrics, the order of the lyrics, the set list, all of that, when you're loaded all of the time? 
the band that comes to me most recently is the Foo Fighters. You know, we've seen them live recently. Sure. They'll just pull out something randomly. Yeah. Something that they didn't have in the set list, like uh, Aurora. Bad Moon Rising. Or, yeah, or, yeah, something like that. And they just, they know it. It's yeah. not even like, 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 let's stop and like, let's practice for a second. They just go right into it. Like, those are professionals. You can't do that when you're going to the bottle first. Like, Jesus Christ. No. It's no, and that's I think that's the sad part of the music industry. I mean, read about whether it's Keith Moon or John Bonham, any of these great talented musicians that died by their Jimi Hendrix. I'm listening to this Jimmy Jim H- Morrison. I'm listening to this Jimi Hendrix podcast right now called the Twenty Seven Club, and mm-hmm. it's just about his demise. I mean, talk mm-hmm. about arguably the greatest guitarist of all time that yeah. was done in by Twenty Seven because of yep. addictions, mm-hmm. the lifestyle. I, I can't imagine it. Get to Joplin yet, Matt? No, not yet. I think the next one is Morrison. I think they'll cover her. But so many people have befallen that yeah. curse. Bad age. Yeah. So he brings... But, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I think that everything you're saying is what the movie is, though. Mm-hmm. We're in that space. Mm-hmm. Here's this really talented, creative individual, but you can see these these terrible actions or habits that are going to bring him down. Introducing Allie... Mm-hmm the woman that's going to champion his cause and maybe love him enough to bring him back from the brink to a stable place. Yeah. Two things happen though. He's going to lose his creativity and she's going to become wildly successful. So as his fame wades and hers begins and a star is born and you're alone, then the woman or the entity that has brought you back from the brink is gone and you're left lonely again. It's this fucking cycle yeah. of being trapped in this perpetual abyss mm-hmm. of no escape through these elements that create and destroy you, drugs and liquor. I'll tell you why I understand, like, Bradley Cooper's in such control of the craft of making this movie. Like, I, it, it, you know when, you, you can tell when it happens in the film. So there's a moment, they, they go to Arizona, which is his home state, and they, they play a gig there, and... They do the rendition of uh, the it's it's the second song it's it's the second song she it's not shallow and she's on the piano for that one, uh, but when they they show it uh, she's on like the the jumbo screen, gigantic and then Jackson's kind of playing backup for her at that point like that's the moment when it changes yeah because then she meets what's the what's the producer guy's name Rez Rez yeah where he comes in and tries to give the pitch on. Uh, Look, we want to sign you. We want to offer you this. She doesn't tell her. Yeah, we're going to essentially dye your hair and completely change you over. But that's the moment in the film. And it's probably about the 45-ish minute mark where the roles change and the worlds change. And then we kind of get to see the rise of Valley and the super fall of, of Jackson. But there's another element in this that I think works pretty well. And it's the dynamic between him and his brother played by Sam Elliott. You get tired of me. So that's rich! They turn it into a fucking wind farm! I bought that for you. Where's his grave? He washed away in a fucking storm. His grave isn't there anymore. I told you, but you were fucking drunk. You were fucking loaded. And already pissing yourself a swamp song. Fuck me, you shed a tear for that piece of shit you idolize for no goddamn fucking reason. All Dad ever did for you 
be right there with me with still love, and you fucking know it. When these people have fights in this movie, they don't they don't go to like the like let me do like the three version of an argument. They go to an eleven mm-hmm. and they say the stuff that cuts deep and like here's essentially the brothers added, he's gonna quit at the end of this scene, but you just wonder the physical pull that like all of this these arguments have on these characters, like really cutting to the core with like, Hey, you're no different than dad. You know, we know why dad died. And if it weren't for me, you'd be right there with him. There's several times in the oh. viewing we both wrote, oh my gosh. Brutal. Wow. Jesus. Just dropping bombs. Uh, the on next each one, other. the next sound clip is even worse. So. Is that the one in the bathtub? <laughs> yeah, it is. Brutal. There's no restraint at all, which then I think gives a really raw performance and feeling in the film that's the entire movie from the music we've already talked about and the portrayals. They don't just fight with jabs. They are fighting with, with destroy your soul yeah, haymakers. Yeah, the daggers, yeah. They just right to the heart. Your most vulnerable thing is how I'm going to attack you. There is an art to fighting, and there's some things you cannot walk back. And we all know what those are with the people in our family and our lives that we love. Yeah. You cannot go there. Otherwise, you're going to eviscerate the relationship. Sure. This movie has no acknowledgement of that. Mm-hmm. We are going to destroy you at a base level that attacks your most fundamental weakness. And then I'm going to double down and hit it even harder. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to watch the people in this film fight, but that's why it's so good. Sam Elliott's good in this movie. Think of, uh, on a really simple level. Yeah. You don't want threes in film. You want 11s yeah. because we live threes. Yeah. So you get it. Mm-hmm. And this is two brothers that are, huge 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 fans of each other Mm -hmm. love each other to pieces yeah wildly jealousy brotherly father son all that's cain and abel all that stuff is in play here and And my god when they fight Mm -hmm. and bradley cooper i think the bit following this is he tells sam neill like you weren't good enough sam elliott i'm sorry sam sam neill different guy i would watch that movie too (laughs) yeah it's event horizon yeah you weren't good enough Mm mm-hmm because you know he's kind of hanging on with the hope that maybe there was something there and it's like his last hurrah into this, even to the point where you stole my voice. Mm-hmm. They just fight at such a bad, awful, destroy-you level. It's hard to watch on screen, but it creates really interesting dynamics. And that speaks to the writing. Mm-hmm. Think about that. Yeah. At this point, if we're understanding the core weaknesses in these characters and the other characters are revolving around that orbit and destroying them there, you have really three-dimensional characters yeah. <clears throat> on screen. And to that, so I'm going to raise it, yeah. to the writing in this film. Yeah. That's really well done. Yeah, especially rewriting a film done five times over. I mean, you're essentially adapting a screenplay that's already been told. Uh, this is much a takeoff of the 70s version that this is of any any of them. So... They're doubling down on what works in those, but kind of doing it better. Not kind of. Yeah, it may be more so doing it better, which sounds crazy. I mean, we're talking about Judy Garland, like like all these like classic Hollywood actors that have been. I think George Cukor made that mm-hmm. the second one, mm-hmm. and Frederick March. I mean, these classic Hollywood actor, Barbara Streisand, Bette Midler, yeah. Yeah, and, and it, it, who would have thought that like this telling this version of it up to this point um, that it'd be working as as good as it as it is? That's that's something to the, just the talent involved. If I could take all of the people that played both of these roles in the films, all of the stars born, 
the Allie and Jack characters and put them in this film. Like you could have your all-star team of this is who I want to play Allie. This is who I want to play Jack. I would choose these two. I know that there is a cult-like following for Barbara Streisand. She can't hold Lady Gaga's jock. Mm. She can't. She can't. Yeah. And as much as I love Chris Christopherson, those would be my two. Those would be the, like the runner up. Yeah. I'm taking Bradley Cooper. Sure. That might be a generational thing. Yeah. And so be it. Yeah. But I'll take the vocal stylings of Lady Gaga over any of the other ones. I don't even she know if it, can wail. I don't even know if it's a generational thing. I think you can, when something's been made this many times, I think you can truly stack them up against each other and view them in the respective times, but then kind of really judge them on, on how they come across that way. I mean... There's a reason I don't go back to those other stars born. It's not that they're badly made, but like this one is 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 extremely well made. It's a well made movie. If you take the rose, the song "The Rose" from "The Rose" by Bette Midler, which is the other I think quintessential song from this film pantheon, this this cadre of these films, mm-hmm. that's a really popular song. Shallow has it beat hands down. Yeah, and, and shallow is the song from this film. Is that fair? Sure. Sure. The Rose is a great song. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows that song. Super sad, super like haunting, fits the film perfectly. Shallow's different because it has that urban rock feel to it, mm-hmm. and it's raw. Yeah. It's more raw. Yeah. Like this film yeah. is more raw. Mm-hmm. That's why I like it. Let's I, get- I, I said one thing that you brought up earlier that I'm curious about. Okay. This doesn't really have much to do with the film. Okay. This rockabilly kind of folk <laughs> blues I'm shocked that that's not ever been a thing for you. Yeah, I know. I'm the, of all the things that surprise me, that's one that I never would have thought because I love that space. Yeah, I mean, like, like the the, the one time that I like, like, I could really kind of get behind that. I think I've told you this before. So the birds, yeah, Mr. Tambourine Man, sure, have a great album that they did towards the like the latter part of their career called uh, Sweetheart of the Rodeo, mm-hmm. and it's like a country rock album. Man, that album rocks. Mm-hmm. It's just so different than like anything they'd ever done before. But that, that that's like country country to me. Okay. That what I kind of see that, that kind of rockability. So but. is it just pedal steel turns you off? What is it that? Yeah, I think, I think it's that. I think it's some of the lyrics. I mean, I, when you really kind of break country down sometimes, ah, Jesus Christ, the lyrics get absolutely absurd. Oh, straight country. I'm not with you. I'm not there either. Yeah. Yeah. But you know me, I like, like much like you, I like my rock when it's going to rock. I like it to rock. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. And then throw some horns in there, and man. Like you're happy day. You're catching it. Like, that's why Chicago is like easily one of my top five favorite bands. That the, they bring the whole package. Sure. So, and that's what the, the reason why I think I kind of like disco music because the horns are very prevalent. Whether it's Earth, Wind, and Fire or <laughs> Cool in the Gang, uh, they bring it in that in that too. So I don't know, man. I'm all over the place. I just think that's interesting. I'm I'm curious about that. I'm gonna do some work here between now okay. and the next time, okay. and find I'm gonna build you a playlist. Okay, perfect. I, I I bet you like it more than you think. Yeah, I probably do. That's one thing I like about music. I like I like diving into new things and doing that. But like I think I, I think you like grunge more than I do. Oh, for sure. But you grew up in the heyday, right? Which helps. Yeah. So no, yeah, that's that's what I love about music. I mean, there's just so many different avenues into it. It's one of the most unique things that's ever been created saying i like grunge more than you though is just a statement on i appreciate feedback and white noise more than you do because you take that and you just have rock Not that i don't like that stuff i, I mean the other day on my uh uh spotify playlist uh allison chains oh jesus what uh, what song 
I'll have to look it up. Their own, well, one of their songs from their Unplugged album came on. That thing kicked ass, man. Oh, that Jar of Flies album's oh, amazing. Oh, it was so good. All that Unplugged stuff from those grunge bands was better than anything they did studio-wise. Whale and Wasp is one you should check out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Good, back to the film. So we're in the second part of the film now, so Allie's kind of making a name for herself. And as we kind of say, like this is the kind of part that hurts me the most about the film is this producer, Rez, is really trying to change backup dancers synthesized studio sound we got to give you orange hair we got to give you a look we got to give you this much like the lady gaga of real uh and what kills me about it is you can see it in this film that she tries so hard to resist the change to not use the backup dancers to not have to do i have to change my hair color yes do i have to wear this and as she goes along with it, she sees the benefits of all that but you see in this movie itself she doesn't she if she had her way she wouldn't do any of that I mean, it's so evident in that. I mean, it's so grandiose and ridiculous in the movie, but that billboard of her that just says Allie and Cooper tells her best. He's like, he's like, you got to like, remember to like, like, I can't remember the lines verbatim, but he's essentially saying like, you always got to like sing from the soul, not sing from this, this thing you're making for yourself. Selfish. Mm -hmm. That's the bit through this, which preach everything you said was so you set this up so well. I'm selfish because I don't want to watch what's happening to Allie go through what happened to the Lady Gaga that I want. And I emphasis on the word I. Yeah. I want the Lady Gaga that's in this film. Yep. Bradley Cooper wants the Lady Gaga or the Allie that he fell in love with, which is his backup side vocalist that is down in the urban rock space with him. The problem is for females, Jesse, that's not profitable. No, it's not. It's just not. It is about image. It's, it's a very shallow industry, (laughs) right? No. Yes, exactly. It it is. And so all of these people are using Allie Mm -hmm. for their own selfish purposes. And she ends up being like, look, the title of the film is the star is born. The movie might as well just be called Allie. It's her story. Mm -hmm. But all of these people are using her as the conduit to make these ends meet in whatever personal missings or misgivings or broken pieces they need put back together from her with her. The problem in that is she gets lost Mm -hmm. because what I would question is her reluctance to get on stage the very first time to sing shallow with Cooper at like the 40 minute movie mark Mm -hmm. speaks to what she actually wants. I think she wants to be recognized as a great musician, but her nose keeps getting in the way. Can't really do much about that short of getting a nose job. And she's not that person in this film. So it's been one obstacle after another. And I think she's fairly selfless in this movie. The problem is she's just got a Sherpa everyone and everyone around her is so screwed up and heavy. Man, the luggage that that Sherpa is carrying is backbreaking. And she ends up coming across as very heroic, but lost in everybody else's mess. Uh, what was I going to say? It, it, there's no denying that she gets caught up in the whirlwind of this life she's creating for herself. I mean, it gets to the point where Cooper's done all he can to kind of set her up for fame and success. And then, like, when she's got it, she's got it. And then 
we get to see the flip side of that. He's playing some heart association conference dinner luncheon. Yeah. <laughs> some ballroom. Sell yeah. Straight sellout. Because you kind of see it diminishing. And then it's even worse later when he was supposed to be the headline for this Roy Orbison tribute at the Grammys. And then he's playing like backup to some whoever that idolizes the guy. You know what I mean? And that's much like sports and fame. You have a window and you got to capitalize. And then Jackson, I think, and this is where he turns to the bottle and becomes just such a buffoon. uh, The window shrinks and the bottle fills up more and more. Mm. Man, my metaphors are on point. It's good. That's well said. It is, but that is what it is. And that's, I think, the sad part of this movie is. Jesse, this movie is a metaphor. And you know, oh, yeah, for success yeah. and love and all. So that is so appropriate. And as his window shrinks, the bottle fills. The problem is, is the window closes and the bottle gets filler. They're both at the same, coming to the same end. Yeah. Which is nothing. And, right? what, and what makes it even more heartbreaking for me, too, is she could care less that his window shrinks. She still loves him for who he is. God, it, I know. Oh, God. Yeah. This, well, let, me, let me play a clip here. <laughs> What? I'm sorry. Just, you failed. Yeah, me? you're embarrassing, and it's just you know. I feel I'm bad embarrassing. For you. Yeah, I just. You know, I'm not fucking embarrassing. Just have to tell you're you, embarrassing, you and you know what you're you, doing you know, is you're so embarrassed of I your just, fucking yeah, self know. that you got to put me down. You're, you're ugly and you're not. I'm trying to tell you that, so you need to get all this fucking approval by all these other people, and it's I I just why can't I just you be enough for like you? You know what I like is my, for my boyfriend to love you know. me. Actually, for my husband yeah. to Who's love me. Who's your fucking boyfriend? You have a boyfriend? Yeah, I've got a boyfriend. That hurts. Call me your fucking boyfriend. You're my boyfriend. You're my boyfriend if you don't treat me like your wife. I don't even know what that fucking means. It means clean your shit up. You're fucking messy. That's what it means. Well, that's not true. Oh, it isn't? Mm-mm. Well, let's go. You want to be my drinking buddy? I'm going to practice. I don't think you could handle it. You don't? Let me see. You and you know why? Because you're too worried go. about what everybody here else is thinking. Go. You can't here even concentrate go, on one fucking thing. Dad, That's right. Yeah. yeah. You couldn't be my dad if you fucking tried. He had more talent in his fucking finger than you had in your whole fucking body. Oh, so don't even oy. fucking go there about that, all right? That's over the fucking line. Why don't you have another drink and we can just get fucking drunk until we fucking disappear, okay? Hey, do you got those pills in you're your pocket? You're just fucking ugly. That's hey, you got. I'm what? You're just fucking ugly. Get the fuck out. Oh, man. Brutal. <laughs> God. There's someone hit the brakes. Yeah. Orange, orange. Somebody hit the brakes. Stop. Mm-hmm. And they just can't. Yeah, they're just they're just too deep in it. Is he jealous? Oh, of course. Do you think he is? Yeah. I think that's something that's... He's resentful of the woman that he helped build? Yeah. That's she's, a bitch, huh? She's taken from him... Like all the gigs, well, because then you see Ali, what she's playing at the end. She's selling out these arenas at, at the end, and he's he can't even get that. Yeah, he's jealous. Um, and then that's the, and that's the, the the real kind of sad part about it. Instead of being a team, a tandem, they're they they he is playing the jealousy game. When I said earlier, she could care less about that. She wants to bring him out on stage later in stupid res. There's no way we can let that happen. She still wants to include him in in that. She knows. In the biggest moment of her life, Mm -hmm. which is winning an Oscar, the Grammy, sorry, Grammy. Yeah, let's get to that scene. He pisses himself on stage because he's too snot-slinging drunk to even be able to control his bodily functions. Oh, God. 
You are loaded, mm-hmm. Jesse. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and what does she do? She doesn't walk away from him or try to hide him. She covers him up with her dress. Think about that. Okay, and play metaphors. Mm-hmm. This gown that she has to accept this award with is what she's covering him up with in his depressed state. All of the glam and glitz and pomp and circumstance that goes along with those makeovers that happen on the red carpet and those formal events, these formal Academy Award, Oscar, Grammy, Mm -hmm. that whole bullshit circuit. And she's using that to cover up his inadequacies. And man, the movie and their relationship has devolved into that in spades. And that bit in the bathtub, his dad didn't have more talent in his little finger. Yeah, he was a drunk too. His dad couldn't hold the talent in her little toe in his whole stupid body. In her hangnail. Exactly. <laughs> in her fake eyebrows. Yeah, that's just you you're just you're 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 attacking with daggers just your 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 intent is to hurt at that point in an argument. That Again, he, thank God it's happening on screen and not in my life cuz you just <laughs> you can't walk that back. Yeah, you, you have know, to you know can. if I say this this is done. Yeah, that's rough. Yep. And it's not for them. No. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, the, the Grammys moment is such a cringe career suicide, as you might say. Uh, yeah, brutal, absolutely brutal. And uh, the next step is, oh, look, like I can't carry this around, and so we just do a smash cut. We cut to I don't know how much longer later, uh, but he's in rehab, trying to make amends with the person he's become, the mistakes he's made. And I had totally forgotten about this part, Matt. So he's talking to the rehab. Yeah leader whatever those people are called mm-hmm. uh and he tells them this story how he tried to kill himself when he was younger like i had totally spaced that at 13 as a act of notice me dad yeah because dad is just as drunk as he is now and dad didn't even notice and he i think he says a comment there that the, the he tried to hang himself on the ceiling fan and the whole ceiling fan broke and crashed on the ground and I cut my head and everything. And we play it for laughs at that moment. But, uh, he says that the fans stayed there for like six months that before anyone noticed it. So even in this attempt to do that, he couldn't get the person he cared about most to, to care, which is, Oh, that's heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. Brutal. So, but he is trying to change. I mean, I think he realizes when there's that great emotional bit between the two of them in his room, where he's like, I fucked up. I'm sorry. I messed up this. Like, I, I apologize. Like, he realizes. And he's like, I got to stop this. Like, I can't be that person anymore. And I truly think at that point, up until the visit visit from Rez, oh, boy. Uh, mm-hmm. He's really trying to become a better person and put the bottle away. And let me just be supportive for you in this moment here. The thing about it, when they sit him down, mm-hmm. it happens several times, whether it's his brother or Allie. And they say, you have to stop this behavior. He seems remorseful. And he's not when he's sober. And sometimes even when he's drunk too. He's not hateable. They don't portray him no. as this cold-hearted bat. Despite the the pool, the bathtub scene you just played. A low moment for him for sure. Mm-hmm. But he is pretty likable. And there is a good person in there. You want to jump through the screen and shake him and say, you have a really good woman. What are you doing And if you care that much about the character that you're watching in a fictional event, again, back to the writing, they have a really well-designed character. After five times, they should. Granted, Mm -hmm. they should. The problem is, no matter 
how far she will go for him. He's not willing but incapable of reciprocating it. And then you get to the other issue, maybe, just maybe, Mm -hmm. she's more talented than he is across the board. And he's having to come to terms with that because the person that is the second most important person that never paid him attention, Mm -hmm. his wife, is the one who's passing him by. Yeah. And man, he's fighting demons that are generations old. His dad didn't pay attention to him. And now she's kind of going to leave him. So now we're playing with abandonment. It's pretty hopeless, Jesse. Mm -hmm. All the therapy in the world isn't going to fix that because she's just going to become more popular and he's just going to feel like more someone in the background. But I think he's trying. He's trying. In this part right here. He's trying. Yeah. He wants to. He's trying. Well, even to the part where let's let's get to the moment now because this is just so shitty. Uh the producer, Ali's manager guy, Rez. I've seen that actor in something before, but I don't, I don't know what. But uh, Jackson's drinking like just club soda and lime. I mean, it's like if you're not going to drink the drink, you know, you have to drink remnants of the drink is probably at like a stage in, in AA uh, to kind of ease yourself off. But man, he comes and just litanies this guy with like, she wouldn't tell you this, but she's embarrassed by you. Like, like you're 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 dragging her down. You're doing this. You're essentially a bad husband, a bad lover, and she would never tell this to your face. But that's why I'm here telling that that to you is you, you got to take a step back. He essentially, this guy essentially tells him, "Why don't you just go kill yourself?" Like, and it's brutal, and it, it hits him so hard to the point where he thinks. And this is why the, the, this aspect of the movie is so tragic for me, where he being viewed as such a fuck up and uh, a mess and such a stain on her fame that the only solution for him is to take himself out of the equation. Oh my God. (laughs) It's brutal. Absolutely brutal. He's clean too and sober. Mm -hmm. And he, I guess he just decides if I'm going to go out, I'm going to go all the way out. I'm going to burn this all the way down to there's no piece of it left except the embers. And even that's the ash. The stain on her career is a really good way to put it. Mm-hmm. The way his pants are stained with the urine as she's on stage. Man, the metaphors. This episode. This is great. Yeah. You're on fire. <laughs> you are too. I just think that's really well said. Mm-hmm. He is a stain on her career. And yeah. man, that's such a shame because there wouldn't be a career. A career without him. You just want to just if he could just get out of his own way. Yeah. And that's where I say I want to go through other and just want to sit him down. And just give them a look, man. Mm-hmm. Do you see what? And that's not often that that happens that I'm that invested in. This is not a real person, Jesse. I'm reminding no, you. These a are fictional musician. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, we are talking about words on a page that I want to have a conversation with. That's quite a vote of confidence. I'll have a car come get you when I, once I get there. I'm going to meet you there. I'll see you soon. Hey. What? I was going to take another look at you. Brutal. Bye. Oh, my God. Okay, so let's get to this. Man, I don't think we've ever... Have we done, like, like such a, like, a, like such a huge drama film on this show before. Like usually it's like a drama with like it's twinged in another genre or something. Mm -mm. Nothing comes to mind right now, but uh, 
Yeah, so let's get to this. You know, one thing I don't like about Hollywood is how they like to glamorize things, especially something as serious as suicide. Uh, so I like, like is a bad word. Bradley Cooper portrays it in a way where you said you were, were, were falling in love with words on a page because they're so well done and the characters feel so real. But like they treat it so properly in this film that the only out for him was to kill himself. But we don't have to go through the rigmarole of actually watching him do it. You know, another great film that comes to mind is Brooks in Shawshank Redemption. Like, it's such a touchy thing to... And you don't want to, like, be in there with those moments because you don't want to glamorize something like, like, like as serious as that. I think the film, as tragic as it is, is such a difficult scene to watch. I mean, like... We were kind of looking, like, not directly at the screen, and there's the, they got the whole dog element in there too, which just kills me. Yeah, I think Cooper masterfully handles this demise of his character with the the placing of the camera from a distance, with the dog, with kind of just showing it. Like, and he gets out of the truck and he's all hopped up on pills again, and we just watch his feet as he takes his hat off and then closes the garage. Oh, it's it's handled very well. I want to see him make more movies. I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, you just said it. Yeah. That's exactly it. Handled with precision mm-hmm. and subtleness, but there's no question that went what went on in that film or in that scene. That's Bradley right. Cooper does a really good job with that. Mm-hmm. That's pretty delicate stuff that he's handling. That's the director, yeah. That's, very, very well. Yeah, the placement of everything. Uh, no, what was I going to say it's about... It's almost like when he closes the garage. Oh, it's like... The curtain comes down too. <laughs> so you know how we have like the the end of the first act, which is yes. like fade to black. Yes. It's almost like we have the end of the third act to start the fourth act in this. Yep. Film, uh, for beat wise, because it literally closes it and we go to black and then we come back and it's that red and blue, oh, like the cherries flashing from the cop cars. I don't want to say stuff like that is beautiful, but like done on it screen, is. it's composited in a very beautiful way. As morose as the subject matter is. Uh, no, yeah, he's he, he does such a good job of, of handling this and juxtaposed with her seeing Shallow alone on stage in front of this massive crowd, and all she can care about is him. Have you noticed in that scene yeah. when she's singing Shallow to that crowd how she's speeding through it faster than normal? Mm-hmm. Did you notice that? No. Yeah. She knows he's not there to perform it with her, and she wants to get on with it and get over this, and that goes to her. Yeah. Here's her moment with Madison Square Garden, like, place sold out. It's huge, yeah. Staples Center, probably. Yeah. yeah, and she can't get through the quintessential song that gave her her position of power fast enough to get home to her husband because she loves him that much. Mm-hmm. I want to shake him. Yeah. Directly, how much this woman loves you. Mm-hmm. Jesus. And then me too. Like, like, I don't like to get like super personal on the on the podcast, but like, and who am I to play God? But man, suicide is such a bad out. And you know, whether you're dying for Tony Scott dying of cancer, and you know, there's yeah, yeah. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, like to th- be in that position to think where you, there's no one else to talk to or to turn to to get yourself out of that. There always is somebody to get you out of that, whether it's a hotline or there's always someone there to listen. So that kills me in that regard. But it, just in my, my family life, I've seen alcohol alcoholism kill two of my uncles like like, and I don't want to get into the graphic gory details on, on all of that, but I've witnessed this condition firsthand and it's brutal. 
like when you see when when they can't turn and like you know like and I'll, I'll have a good bender night fun halloween party and i'll pay for it for the next three days but <laughs> i've never been able to get into the headspace of man every day and you're starting like and sometimes with him like at eight in the morning just going on for the next one like that's such a hard brutal life so i think i think this sequence this film the end of it his character hits me a little deep because I'm not, i've seen that happen and it's it's brutal <sighs> to all that yeah to that yeah so let's get into the finale of the film here act four <laughs> it's a four guess, act film yeah. jesus the last thing I did was lie to him. <laughs> Listen to me. It isn't your fault. It just isn't. You know whose fault it was? Jack. That's it. No one else. Not you, not me. No one but Jack. I just keep going over and over and over in my head. Jack talked about how music is essentially 12 notes between any octave. 12 notes and the octave repeats. It's the same story. Told over and over. Forever. Isn't that this series, whatever you want to call the Star is Born quadrilogy? I mean, the same story told over and over because something as rudimentary as addiction, rise and falls, is essential to storytelling. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's interesting that he uses 12 notes. We've talked about this a little bit, that docudrama. Yeah. It's my, not docudrama, documentary, My Life in 12 Bars, the Eric Clapton documentary. Mm-hmm. I want to recommend that to everybody because I think it has some some similarities to the film that we're discussing today. You can find it anywhere. Whether you're a Clapton fan or not, it's worth a watch. Um, it's just a really interesting story about music. But that number 12 and the 12 octaves and the 12 bars and the repetition that this movie has mastered, and then again in that same referential way acknowledges and says, we're going to just try to do it a little better because he liked the way, if you kept that sound going, he liked the way she did those 12 notes more than anybody else. Mm-hmm. I think what he's saying is, we, he being Cooper as the director, we think we can tell the same 12 notes a little bit better than everybody before them. And so if this is your directorial debut mm. as a passion project and yep. you want to tackle the fifth time this movie's been done with some strong entries prior, yeah. nobody ever said, man, I wish somebody would just do a good version of a star is born. No, yeah, right. It's, it's, yeah. It's been done kind of Hollywood royalty and I'm going to contend to do it better. Mm-hmm. It's just very, I love movies that are very aware of the story and the surrounding and the space that they're in. Yeah when they're not stories about Hollywood telling stories about Hollywood. Those ones make me want to vomit. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yes. Right. <laughs> Unless it's Robert Altman and the player. Yeah. But being that being said, there it is. Yeah, there it is right there. We're going to do it again better. Yeah. No, that's 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 admirable. Yep. Uh, okay, so then the film ends with one last musical number, and uh, this is... Hang on, I pulled it up. I'll Never Love Again. 
at some like memorial tribute concert for Jackson Maine, now that everyone kind of know uh, is aware that he's dead, so they're honoring him. And she writes this song that he helped her kind of come up with. And man, she just slays this song like so good. It's just like all on her. And then like I was like, I was like, did they do montage in this like to show them? And of course they do because the film knows what it needs to do to make the moment sell even more. But the moment that makes it work even for me was because if I ever got to make a movie, this was some. This is something I would love to do. And instead of going the high note with her, which you know Gaga can hit that high note and hold it, uh, it cuts to a couple days before his death where he's writing the song and it's his ending to the song. Like let's back up two steps back and let's see it from this perspective. And then that's just great. I, I, I love it. And then cut to just her looking at the camera and then a couple bars of silence and then credits. Um, the great ending to this movie. I can't remember. I can't remember like the ending shots of the other ones, but I mean, this one, um, lets you mourn <laughs> and then it lets you um find solace in in the in the sadness there through the song because she is so she's so dang talented well at seen. it yeah absolutely. so that star is born i do have a few do you have anything else matt no i have a couple anecdotes i would like to uh let you know about lady gaga and julie Gar- judy garland were the same age when they did their versions of star is born i thought that was what's the age Oh shit! I, 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 I would ask you that. Huh? Yeah, you would. I don't have that part. the The collaborators, whether it's Lucas Nelson or Mark Ronson, that helped kind of put these songs together. I mean, I think that's why this also works so well. Is we find ourselves singing and humming these songs after the fact because they are so catchy. I mean, the album was uh, on the number one charts for weeks on end, and "Shallow" passed "Thriller" as the second most awarded song in history. That's something. That is something. I mean, we were talking about Thriller a couple weeks ago, which is just a landmark song and video, but that is pretty remarkable. Uh, $36 million budget, $436 million gross. So do that again. That's twice <laughs> on that one. Yeah. Cha-ching. Okay. Um, eight Oscar nominations, only one win, which uh, let's not get into the Academy Awards, but the win was for the song. As we said, it's a pretty good song. Cooper was nominated for director, right? Director. Uh, she was for actress and then pitcher and then probably writing, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's that, that star is born. Do you have a favorite tasting note from a star is born? Yeah, I do. It's when he brings her on stage and they belt shallow for the first time. And I love the way the camera is so tight on her and She's not acting. She's really singing. She's not, I need to play singer. She's, I'm going to sing the absolute hell out of this song. But she does it in a way where there's a little bit of, I can't believe this is happening in front of 25,000 people. I'm a little bit shy still. Mm -hmm. That moment to me, I'm not kidding, Mm -hmm. gives me chills. I literally had chills when she's singing that song and the camera's just on her and she... Oh, like lets it go. Mm-hmm. Look the hell out, man. I got to pick the same one. I mean, just you like should. Uh, it, just for how everything kind of comes together. I mean, it's lit amazingly and yeah. the, 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 the music's cranking and maybe it's the surround sound. I don't know. Uh, it sounds like we were in a, the concert. We were there watching it. And like you said, like she just absolutely, and I, I'm going to play, I'll play a couple bars of that here coming up in a second. But yeah, that's, it's, it's just, it's a standout moment from the movie for me too. What's the... Oh, my God! 
We did pretty good, Matt. We came close to finishing off the Bell Me. There's only about one one drink left in there, so almost finished. What's the oh my god though that we have to finish that off? Uh, I think it's when he pees himself on oh, stage. Yeah, it's brutal. It's just because he just kind of tips his head back and just lets it happen. Mm-hmm. It's just gone. He's I, just gone. Yeah. I got to pick the exterior shot of the garage with him in it and just the dog waiting for him outside. It just like kills me to my core. Oh, brutal. Absolutely brutal. Who's the master distiller on A Star is Born? Are we both going to have the same three for everything here? Go ahead. It's, it's Cooper. Lady Gaga's amazing, but he's the one that puts all the pieces together, puts in a fine performance, allows her to be her, recognize he should cast her. It's Bradley Cooper, and he also helped with the screenplay. It's Bradley Cooper for me. Yeah. I, like I said, I, I want to see him make more movies. Mm-hmm. I'll take the flip side of that. I'll take Lady Gaga. Yeah. And primarily because, I mean, it's one thing to sing and perform on stage and whatnot, but then like to get in front of a camera and act is a totally different beast altogether. Mm-hmm. I think she handles it properly, and it's just a platform for her to showcase the real talents that I think she would love to to show to us. Yeah, it's her. There's both of them, really. It's it's mm-hmm. the, There's a lot of great talent involved with this, just in the two of them. So are you going to rate and grade a star is born? We have Rock Gut, Well, Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. What are you going with? Top Shelf. I'm not ready to sit down and watch it again. It's a bit of a long watch, and it doesn't have the happiest ending. Um, But it's as enjoyable. This is only my second time through it. It was enjoyable insofar as the appreciation of film as it was for me the first time. And despite the grim nature at the end and the suicide and she's alone and the sad fade out as she's singing and crying, there are plenty of other moments earlier on where they're really doing good together. Mm-hmm. That initial courting night, the first night when they go out and he's so gentlemanly and kind, there's moments to celebrate the two of them that help make the tragic nature of it a little less impactful in a way that doesn't take away what they're trying to do, but gives you enough levity that the whole movie isn't just this morose. Mm -hmm. It's masterfully done. There's not a bad performance. Andrew Dice Clay is really good in it. And I did say that he's really good as her dad. You recognize what her take on men is from him. She's probably grown up in an alcoholic life. You know, I don't think her dad and those, those drivers are probably put a few back a couple nights. Like she literally comes home that first night has to clean the house because they're the movie just works. It's masterfully designed. It's in no hurry. The performances are great. The music's great. This is a masterpiece. That was the best movie of the year. I don't remember what 2018. Won, what won that year? Shape of Water. Whatever. <laughs> so yeah, uh, the movie's a masterpiece. It is. Yeah, it's good. Uh, okay, Matt. I'm not gonna. I know. I, I I love this movie just like you. I don't know if I'm gonna go quite that high. A single barrel plus. Man, it's okay. it's on the cusp. I kind of want to just give it some time. It'd be five to 10 years. Come back to it and kind of see like if I still feel the same way about it because it's there. I mean, there's just so much talent behind it. I mean, it's raw. It hits all the right notes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's yeah, like it's a great movie, but like much like you, like you're going to pop this on every night. I mean, it's so grim. I mean, I don't want to like experience like the last 30 minutes of that every night. Right. So, but there's no denying the staying power of the impact that it has. The songs are catchy. Um, say what you will about shallow being overplayed on the radio for sure. It's still a great song. Uh, 
and it was a chance. It was like an insight into me on just the true talent of Lady Gaga. Mm-hmm. So there is that. I'm with that. Excellent. Well, let's wrap this thing up with a nightcap. Perfect segue. We highlight Lady Gaga in in that rendition of the song. Why don't you hit us with the nightcap? It's the opposite of what the flight was. So that is top three performances by musician in a film role. So we're just doing the other way. All right. So I'll you, let go, you go three first. Number three for me first is Dean Martin, and he plays the dude in Real Bravo. Oh yeah. Dean Martin's a little bit tricky because it's hard to say if he's a singer or an actor. Um, For this, I'm going to go with that. I love that he's sort of this reformed, hard drinking, trying to keep it off, trying to keep it on the rails role in this. And for all of the like kind of slapsticky comedic stuff, I think this is his best performance. So, and I, of all those guys, Dean Martin is my guy. That's who I love. Of all the Rat Pack, that's my guy. Yeah. So that's that's my number three. Real Bravo's it's a Sultan Precinct thirteen. It's mm-hmm. essentially that story. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Number three for me. I oh god damn it. <laughs> Lost it. I'm going Eminem as Eight Jimmy Mile. B Rabbit uh, Smith Jr. Eight Mile, like, much like this movie, is somewhat autobiographical and fiction on like his on Marshall Mathers kind of upbringing, and Curtis Hansen does an incredible job of portraying that story and. The Lose Yourself song that he wrote oh. for that is just like the ultimate hype anthem. Yeah. Like the, the, when that song, like you can't like not like nod your head like when that thing's going. So, but who thought he had the acting chops behind it too? So that's my number three. Great choice. Yes. Number two for me, hard to determine if this is actor or musician, but I'm going to go with musician or dancer. And that's Jennifer Lopez as Karen Sisko and Out of Sight. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's one of the most beautiful performances aesthetically of female on screen ever. It has my favorite love scene of all time in it. She's great. She's awesome with Clooney mm-hmm. and that sort of dueling undressing scene. And she, oh, God. Yeah. That. That's a good movie. That, that, she is all woman in that movie. Yeah. And she's also wildly talented as a musician. That's not my go-to, mm-hmm. um, but that's my number two. And I mean, just barely that could be number one. Every time I watch that movie, I fall in love with Jennifer Lopez. Cause she's so great in that. Yeah. Film. If you haven't seen that, it's like, go check out out of sight. Yeah. Yeah. Steven Silver. We got to do a Soderbergh cast. We have point. to, or an Elmore Leonard B side cast of like, not Jackie Brown ideas, but not get shorty, but not get shorty. <laughs> Good, Jordy. All right, kind of. You're number um, two. Okay, you're gonna laugh at this, no, but not. we've talked many times on this podcast on the Fifty Cent rentals uh, uh, of Furs uh, and the films that, whether it's The Shadow that I rent, rented or the Billy Zane's Phantom, this was the other film I rented at least thirty plus times. I love it. I know people watch it at least five times a year when it comes out, but it's Hocus Pocus, and I got to go. Bette Midler as Winifred Winnie Sanderson. Wow. 
She just kills it as, as the witch, and she has a couple singing numbers in there that she's good at, but like as the head matriarch of the witch family in Hocus Pocus, she, she's so good as that role. But that's just something so ingrained in my childhood that I still watch today. I think I watched it. I think I watched it once this Halloween, too. So that's what I'm going to go with. Those that? three films, I swear to God, I rented them to death. But Bette Midler has made the podcast a lot today. A lot. So this, my number one, is a movie that features the same actress as number two, but a kind of different story. Okay. No one saw this film. Okay. El Cantante. Oh, you, you mentioned that the other day. Mark Anthony plays Hector Laveau, and it's that Fania record label and the birth of like salsa and at the height of its power. <laughs> we need to do that film. Sure, like, yeah. We just, bar- that barely missed in this cast. Okay. We need to do that film someday. Sure. Um, He's great. It is essentially this film, but a male perspective and salsa instead of urban rock or whatever we want to call this music. Sure. He's amazing in it. I'm not a fan of his. I don't go to his music. That that album won like five Grammys. Um, it debuted at number one on the Latin charts. It was there for like 40 weeks on release. It slays. I don't know a single word in the whole damn thing, maybe other than a more or an L. Uh, <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> maybe. It's fantastic. I want to watch. Have you ever seen it? No. Oh, we have to watch. Oh, yeah, we'll do it. We'll do. We'll do a raw one. It should be a cast where you pick like a couple movies that I haven't seen. We'll just do those. We'll do like a four one. You do two, and I do two. Sure. Yeah. Oh. Okay. So save. Don't ever watch that. I won't. I'll save it. That's my number one. Mark Anthony and El Cantante. Oh, great. Yeah. Number one for me. You mentioned another member of the Rat Pack. I'll take another one. Uh, uh, I'm going to go Frank Sinatra. And there's a lot I could choose. Yeah, yeah, Man with the Golden Arm or From Here to Eternity. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with the Rogue Choice. And I'm actually going to go Major Bennett Marco from The Manchurian Candidate. And I, So good. And I think I mainly like it because it is kind of a quiet performance. Almost. That's such a good movie. Boogeyman as We got to do a political thriller cast because that, yes. that's such an interesting subgenre. And that movie coming out in the time that it came out in is remarkable. But between him and Angela Lansbury in that movie, mm-hmm. wow. So I got to go him. Who, who knew that old blue eyes had the acting chops as well? So that's such a good choice, Jesse. Yeah. That is, oh, I love that film. Yeah. I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast or I don't even know if I've mentioned to you before, but I, I had a gig. It wasn't a paid gig. It was doing it literally for the goodness of my heart. But I was showing uh, movies uh, at an old folks retirement yeah, community. I remember that. Yeah. And they were showing them. It was so funny. Like Transformers and like Fast and the Furious. Like for their, they had a cool little like movie auditorium. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what the hell? Yeah. They don't want to watch that. They want to watch like Charlie Chaplin and like song. So like I got into this gig where we were showing them like old movies and kind of doing like a kind of like a Turner Classic movie talk afterwards. It didn't last very long. Well, one of the movies they wanted to see was The Manchurian Candidate, so we showed that. And Sweet. That one and another film we have to cover on the podcast, and this is going to go probably in that my top three of what I would want to cover in the next 100, Treasure of the Sierra Madre, my favorite Humphrey Bogart movie. It's the, And they loved it. They loved seeing And they knew all those the old actors from that era. Like, we talk about, like, Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. Like, that was their version of that. So it's great. Yeah. Great list. So would you sit down and have a little powwow with like some co-host and talk about like break it down film wise or what would you do with after the film? Yeah. What should I do about that? <laughs> I love that you did that for those old people. That's great. Oh yeah. They loved it. Well, so you just fielded questions and kind of gave them backstory and you're Joseph Mankiewicz or what, like what's like yeah. Robert Osborne or yeah, what? Yeah. That's great. Like we'd watch it and then kind of like, like I would look up like how I look up with this show. I'd look up like little trivia notes and would kind of give them a little behind the scenes on like how it was made. We did like modern times 
that one, Manchurian Candidate. I think we did White Heat. Uh, and we, we did their request, like what they wanted to see. Uh, and I was like, I was like, I don't have white heat, but I'll go get it so we can watch it. That movie's great too. Like yeah. the white heat blue uh, DVD has a great feature that I've never seen before. Uh, and it's uh, play the film in the way it was seen in the theater. So you play it and they do a newsreel, a Bugs Bunny cartoon, a couple trailers, and then the movie. Like it was the full presentation of watching a movie in 1948. That's cool. It was awesome. That's cool. Like, it was really cool. Yeah. So no, yeah, that was it's, that, that's when the Manchurian Candidate come up. But we'll, we'll have to cover that one because that that one's that one's that's a wild movie. Yes. So great episode, part one of Backbeats uh, here in this new film review. This cast is going to be a lot of fun. Coming up next week, Matt. This is I, I can't wait to talk about this one because um, as kind of like how I met you and I took your film class and um, real history. And we can talk about that next week. And we've mentioned it and we've mentioned it before, but I think I've told you before, I was like, there's like five movies I saw in that class that like really stuck out to me and like really latched on with like a profound influence. Next week, we're covering one of them mm. from 2000 from Cameron Crowe, almost famous. I can't wait to talk about this movie. This, this coming of age through the world of seventies rock, which is essentially this is kind of like a Leonard Skinner biopic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait to talk about the, the, this movie. I mean, the soundtrack, the, the, the Patrick Fugit just kind of thrust into this crazy world uh, by way of Lester Bangs, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, it's, it's such a interesting, wild movie. And we, we talked about Cameron Crowe on fast times, but like we get to talk about him and all of his oeuvre next week. It's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to talking about the, factual depiction of all of the support characters in that film with the fictitious depiction of the main characters in that film. Mm -hmm. But as we have Willie Nelson's son teaching Bradley Cooper how to play guitar on this, we have an even bigger star teaching everybody how to play guitars on that film. Mr. Peter Frampton. Yep. That's, we have a lot to talk about. Yeah, next week. Be a, the version I have, um, it's the, the bootleg version. Oh, and what I say by that is it's not like a bootleg quality. It's it's the director's cut of Almost Famous. Oh, cool. So I don't know if you've ever seen that, but we'll, we so. can kind of kind of cross what they added and what they kind of um, took away from it. So you got that coming next week, Almost Famous from 2000. But cheers, Matt. Cheers, Jesse. Cheers. I got to get going. I'm going to go work on my James Ma a Mason impression because it was coming off a little French, but it was, it was a little all right. But I'm going to get it down. If you do that, I'll roll out Cary Grant next week, and we'll do okay. North by Northwest on these on these mics for everybody and Rice Smile. Excellent. Thank you, everybody. If you want to hit us up, hit us up on Facebook or Instagram or our email, Productions at gmail.com. We love the feedback. Any of the reviews have been greatly helpful. Um, send one that way if you feel the need to do so. But until then, we'll see you next week. Everybody, thank you so much. We are so thankful for the ears every week. Everybody have a great week, and we will see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing, be sure to leave us a five-star review. We'd greatly appreciate it. A Star is Born is property of Warner Brothers Pictures, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, Live Nation Productions, Gerber Pictures, Peters Entertainment, and Joint Effort and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. <laughs>